always do such a great job. What a blessing. Thank you, Jeff and musicians uh, for leading us in worship. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Daniel chapter 9. You who are watching at home, you, I pray you have a copy of God's Word and you will join us as well. Daniel chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. This morning we move into a passage and I want to spend our time uh, in Daniel's uh, confession and petition. He confesses before God. From our messages in the previous parts of this study, you know that chapters 7 through 12 are predominantly prophetic. Uh, this chapter is no different. In fact, next week when we get to the last part of chapter 9, <clears throat> it is probably one of the most critical passages in all the Bible for understanding prophecy. So just a, a little advertisement, I encourage you to, to be here for that next week. But this morning, we understand that as we move into chapter 9, uh, Daniel uh, has received prophecy concerning uh, the judgment of Israel and, and the captivity they were in in Babylon. He was part of that. And in his prophecy, God has already revealed the time, what's called the time of the Gentiles. And we know that that period began in 586 B.C. when Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were carried away captive to Babylon. And the time of the Gentiles, we learned in the last few weeks, will extend through the tribulation and to the return of Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. So the church age, the age that we live in now, is in that time of the Gentiles. And God revealed to Daniel four kingdoms that would uh, be empires or ruling over the world during this period. And uh, we know that Babylon was one of them, the Babylonian Empire. And we know the Persian Empire was one. And Daniel lived through the Babylonian Empire and into the first king, Cyrus of the Persian Empire. So he saw personally the fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy, the Babylonians, the Persians. And then, of course, we learned in the last few weeks that the Greeks, the Macedonians, followed the Persian Empire, conquered them, Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire. And some would say, well, Pastor, you know, this time of the Gentiles, the Roman Empire is, is no more. Well, biblically and historically, historically, biblically, whichever one you want to begin with, the Roman Empire was never conquered. It fell apart on the inside. And all the parts of the Roman Empire are still there in Europe. And what the Bible says is when Antichrist comes, after the church is raptured and the tribulation begins, Antichrist will reconstitute the old Roman Empire. He will call those countries and those parts of Europe that make the old Roman Empire will come back together under his rule. And so throughout the entire period of the time of the Gentiles, these four kingdoms are prominent. Now during the church age that we live in right now, uh, God is extending grace to everybody, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and people are being saved all over the world and added to the church. The church is a unique entity, not a local church, though we are unique, I think, but, uh, but the church in general, all saved people are part of the body of Christ, the church. And so when the church is raptured, God will return to this plan. The Roman Empire will be reconstituted uh, and the time of the Gentiles will end with the coming of Christ. Now, knowing all these things, Daniel saw the fall of the Babylonian Empire and the beginning of the Persian Empire, and it set him to thinking. Uh, he remembered reading his Bible, and Daniel had his Old Testament scriptures, his Old Testament prophecies, and Daniel remembered reading about when the Babylonian captivity would end. And so we pick up in chapter 9 with Daniel thinking about the end of their captivity. Look at verses 1 and 2. 
In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, Daniel, having lived through the fall of Babylon, you'll remember from Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar threw a big party and the handwriting on the wall, and then that very night, the, the kingdom, the city fell, and the Persians, the Medes and the Persians took over the Babylonian Empire. Having witnessed that, and knowing that this was all part of God's uh, plan, Daniel began to think about God's future for Israel. Of course, his heart was connected to Jerusalem and to Israel and what God was doing with them because he had already been receiving the prophecy. And so Daniel began to think, and he remembered from reading his Bible in, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 10, it says this, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So God, before it ever happened, before the Babylonian captivity ever began, God had already revealed to Jeremiah that 70 years would be the punishment. After 70 years, God said, I would restore you to the land. And so Daniel knew that from reading his Bible, and he began to do the math. The first deportation to Babylon was in 605 B.C. Well, the Babylonian Empire fell October 12th of 539 B.C. So the first year of Darius would be that following year. So Daniel did the math, and that was 66 years. And so his little heart was happy. He said, man, we're almost to 70 years, and uh, God's going to restore us to the land. And then Daniel began to think, we, we really need to pray. We really need to petition God about his promise. And so Daniel was moved to prayer from reading the Bible. Can we think about this for a moment? Hardly ever is there a time ever that I read the Bible that I'm not moved to prayer. Hardly ever. I mean, I may read a verse. I may, you know, I may read a verse or something or read a passage and go on my way. But I would, I would think 99% of the time, if I sit down to seriously consider the scriptures, I'm always moved to prayer. Why is that? Because God's speaking to you. And God's speaking to me. And God speaks to me through his word. And when God speaks... I like to talk with them, right? I like to converse with them. And so when God says something, as Daniel here, Daniel said, well, God, you said in 70 years we're going to go home. So Daniel was moved to talk to God about that. Daniel was moved to pray about that thing. And when I read the Bible and I read that, that Jesus is going to come back and get us one day and that Jesus is going to come and sit on the throne and, and we're going to dwell with him forever, I like to talk to him about that. I like, to, I like to share with him about that. And very often I say, Lord, you can come today. Today would be good. Now would be good. Daniel was moved the same way. Daniel wanted to pray. Look, I would suggest to you one of the reasons Christians don't pray like they should is they don't read the Bible enough. Don't spend enough time in God's Word. And if we don't spend enough time in God's Word, we're going to consume that time somewhere else in worldliness, which will never move us to pray. It will move us away from God. So Daniel wanted to pray. Look at verses 3 through 5. Here's his prayer. Having understood that soon the 70 years would be up, he begins to pray. He begins his prayer with confession and petition. Then I set my face, in verse 3, toward the Lord God to make requests 
by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Now look at verse 5 in particular. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. It's interesting that Daniel began with confession, isn't it? What's more interesting is he includes himself in there. Now, if you know anything about Daniel, reading this book, nothing's ever said about Daniel in a negative context ever. Perhaps he and Job were the only two guys. I think Job had some flaws at the end and God straightened him out. But Daniel, nothing. And yet Daniel includes himself in this failure. Now, what is Daniel praying here? What he's saying is, God, we are where we are, and it's not your fault, it's ours. We're in captivity because we're the ones who sinned against you. You see, listen, there's an important lesson to learn here. How often in our lives are we tempted to blame God for all the bad stuff that happens in life? You see, as human beings, we are masters at deflecting responsibility. We're masters at saying, yeah, but it ain't my fault. The yeah, but gets us in a lot of trouble, okay? Yeah, that's true, but. No, with God, there's no but connected to it. In other words, Daniel said to God, God, we are where we are because it's our fault. Do you remember what Moses told Israel back in Deuteronomy 28? I'm sure you do, but I'll help you, okay? God had given them the law, and Moses, Moses said to them, look, there are two paths you can walk. There are two choices you have. You can obey God and his laws and his statutes, and you can walk with him, and he'll be your God, and you'll be his people, and he'll bless you, and the, and the cattle will multiply, and the crops will grow, and the rain will come, and everything will be good, and God will take care of you, and he'll bless you to be a nation like there's never been on the face of the planet, and God will subdue your enemies, and you'll be at peace, and you will live well. You'll be his people. He'll be your God. But Moses warned them, because God warned them, and said, but in the day that you break God's commandments and you become disobedient and you choose to walk in sin and you choose to break God's judgments and break his law. Judgment will come. Chastening will come. And you will lose everything. What Daniel's confessing here is, God, we picked the wrong path. God, we, we didn't pick the path of obedience. We picked the path of selfishness and self-centeredness and rebellion and hard-heartedness is very serious today for those online and those here. The same two paths are before us today. They've never changed. The same two paths are before us. Now, in case someone would say, well, you know, Pastor, we live under the day of grace, and when you get saved, you can't lose your salvation. And that's true. Praise God, because we'd all be lost again in a nanosecond. But the problem is, even as Christians, the same two paths are laid before us. As a born-again child of God, do we obey God and walk in His blessing and walk in His care and walk in close fellowship with Him and walk in that sweet fellowship of God of sin standing between us and Him? 
and that we confess the moment we fail and we walk close to our God and we enjoy his blessings. And understand this, the blessings of God aren't connected to the circumstances of life. We can't say, well, I have everything I want, so I must be blessed of God. No, sometimes a blessing of God is we don't have everything we want. But we know the sweet fellowship of walking with God and being successful spiritually, not materially or, or, or in some way that we might measure. And then there's the other path as Christians. We can be a disobedient child of God. We can be a rebellious child of God. We can, we can be a hard-headed child of God and stiff-necked and go our own way and do our own thing. And, and, and as Christians, we can say, well, I know what the Bible says, but, and there it is again, you know, I know what, I know what God said, but, and we do our own thing. And then there's chastening and God takes us to the woodshed and, and tries to draw us back. And, and listen, as a rebellious child of God, it's dangerous. It was dangerous for Israel because in the church in Corinth, Paul said, some of you, because you abuse the Lord's Supper, some of you are sick and some of you sleep, meaning God's taking some of you home early because of your rebelliousness. So we, beloved, are faced with the same two paths a day. Do we, do we walk with God in obedience and confession and, and humbleness before God? Or are we arrogant and want to do things our way and do life our way? I can tell you from experience and from the, from the authority of God's word, walking with God is much better than being rebellious. Walking with God is much better than, than doing the things that he says not to do. And so Israel, Daniel, confessed to them and said, Lord, we picked the wrong path. We have rebelled against you. We've done wickedly. We've broken your laws and we did all the things that you told us not to do. In fact, they were in captivity because of their sin. You remember God sent prophet after prophet to them. God sent warning after warning to them. In fact, Judah in the south and Jerusalem should have learned a lesson when the Assyrians took the northern kingdom away, but they weren't paying attention. And so Daniel confesses sin. Now here's the good news. When we sin, as Israel did, and when we sin as Christians, God is one confession away. I mean, he's, he's still close. In other words, there's a, a way back. I wrote in my notes, here's the path back. If you're listening today and you say, well, pastor, I know I'm saved, but man, I'm so far from where God wants me to be. And it's sad that there are a lot of Christians that way. God, I'm not where God wants me to be. And I know it. God's crushing my heart and I'm in this sin and I'm in this thing. I'm in this habit and it crushes me every day. Hey, here's good news. You can do what Daniel did. You can confess. You can simply confess and with a repentant heart, be restored? God said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Look at verse 5 again. Look at what Daniel said. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Here's the good news. Mercy is always nearby. Pardon is always nearby. Daniel hit the nail on the head. He's confessing. He's confessing for the people. He's confessing for himself. I would say to you, the good news is today, the mercy of God is nearby for all. And, I, I, and even better news, God's mercy knows no boundary. There's no sin. There's no thing that we've done or that we've been involved in. There's no thing that's so hard that God won't forgive it. 
God's mercy knows no boundary. In fact, let me give you the three things that are really part and parcel to the whole process of confession and repentance and being restored either to salvation or fellowship with God as a Christian. There are three, and here they are. Number one, we have to be willing to confess our sin. Now, that sounds intuitive to us who are saved, right? Pastor, I'm with you, man. I'm confessing all the time. Amen. But there are a lot of people in the world who won't take the first step. They won't confess. They won't deal with their sin. They want to they hide it. They won't put it away. They want to ignore it. Look, if we don't talk about it, it ain't there. No, it's there. If, if other people, if I hide it and other people don't know about it, then it isn't there. Mm, nothing hidden from God, right? God sees everything. God knows everything. God knows, listen, God knows the skeletons in our closet by name. He, he knows what's buried in there. He knows where you buried stuff nobody else knows. God knows. So how do you deal with the skeletons in the closet? How do you deal with the stuff that you buried you don't want anybody to know about? How do you deal with the deepest, darkest hurts of life that sin brings? Confession. Confession. Get it off your chest. Get on your knees. Do what Daniel did. Turn your face toward God. Humble yourself. Get on your knees and say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I did this and that, and God, it's sin, and I am sorry. I confess it. That's all God wants to hear. That's what he wants to hear. Confession. You see, when we confess, you know what we're doing? We're agreeing with God and what he already said. See, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No secret, no shocker, we're all sinners. Okay? So what do we need to do? We simply come and confess, right? That's what Daniel's doing here. God, we have sinned against you. Now, the, the other side of the same coin of confession, they're not really two different things, but for our understanding, we'll explain it this way. There's confession, and connected to confession is repentance. Now, sometimes we like to try to separate these out and go, well, you didn't repent, so you aren't saved. No, wait a minute. You can't really confess without repenting, okay? I mean, they're kind of connected, and here's what I mean. If I'm willing to come to God and confess then there is, there is indicated in that a willingness that I don't want to sin anymore. The reason is they don't want to turn loose of their sin. In other words, there's no repentant attitude, so they're not going to confess it. Does that make sense, everybody? I'm not going to God and confess, because if I confess, then I've got to stop doing what I'm doing. I've had people say to me before, that, sound, that getting saved thing sounds great, and going to heaven sounds wonderful, but if I do that, then I've got to give up all this stuff over here. Well, yeah, I can't argue with that because that's sin and God doesn't want you to do that. But I said, here's the good news. If you're willing to confess and ask God to forgive you, you really want to turn away from it, God will take it away from you. Amen. And he'll change your want to and you won't want to do that stuff anymore. But they won't confess because there's no repentance connected to it. Now, we know what repentance means, right? If you've been around Baptist church long, man, you've got to repent. Well, it, mean, it, you know, it means turn around. It means go the other way, right? In other words, I have an attitude of when I confess, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I, here's my sin. God, we've broken your laws. As Daniel said here, we've, we've been wicked. We've been hard-hearted. We've been hard-headed. And God, I am sorry for that. I confess it. There is in that a desire to not be those things anymore. Now, here's the catch. In our flesh, we have no hope of not sinning anymore. Everybody follow me? And that's where some Christians get tripped up here. You say, well, if I repent and I confess, then I got to live perfect. Well, good luck with that. 
Good luck with that. But here's the deal. If I am confessing and I really have a repentant heart, then the Holy Spirit will enable me to do the things that I can't do on my own, okay? And so the, the confession and the repentance, which is also connected, it's a triple-sided coin if there's such a thing. There's confession, there's repentance, and then there's the faith in Jesus. Because it's the faith in Jesus as our Savior that empowers the whole thing, right? You follow me? So I, I confess my sin to God. I'm repenting with a repentant heart. God, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to be different. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive me. That's the kind of prayer Daniel's praying here. That's exactly what he's praying. Isn't this neat? The pattern is the same 2,500 years later. It's not changed. Why? Because God doesn't change. We confess. We have a repentant heart or attitude in our confession. And it is our faith in Jesus Christ by which the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and empower us. He pardons our sin and empowers us. He lives in us. And so this pattern, this prayer is for all of us, for all of us to use personally. And wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful on a national scale if our nation would get on its knees and confess our sin, starting at the highest places of our leadership? God, we have sinned against you and we're sorry. And then connected with that confession is change. Stop doing all the things that offend God. And he would forgive, and he would pardon. But again, the reason most people won't get saved is they're not willing to confess, and they're not willing to repent. And there's unbelief in their heart. Oh, that believing in Jesus is okay for you, but no, I don't think so. Or no, that's, that's for you, that isn't for me. There's that hardness and unwillingness. That's exactly what happened in Israel, and Daniel's confessing that. Now notice what he says in, in verse 6. Here's one of their main problems, which is a problem today. He said, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. You get what Daniel's saying there? He said, God, not only have we sinned against you, not only have we have we." broken your laws and your commandments. But God, when you sent the preachers and you sent the prophets and you sent the priests and you sent the men to come and preach to us, we didn't listen to them. We, we didn't pay attention to what they had to say. In other words, Daniel says we were stiff-necked and hard-hearted and God, we were spiritually deaf. God sent to Israel prophet after prophet and message after message, calling them to repent, calling them to turn away from their sin, calling them to follow his law and be his people. But they would not. The sad part is, when Jerusalem fell, the people still thought God was going to spare them and save them. They ignored the message of God right up until judgment came and took them all away. Let me read you something Jesus said about the last days. Listen very carefully here. Listen. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this, beginning in verse 36. But of the day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In other words, Jesus said, nobody knows when I'm coming back. It's top secret. God's determined it, the Father's determined it, and for you to know. But, verse 37, 
Here's what it's going to look like right before I come back. This is important. Pay attention to this. Jesus said, this is what the world's going to look like right before I come back. Don't know the date, but this is what it's going to look like. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, watch this, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, that's ominous, isn't it? What does Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 say? I know you know it, but I'll help you. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's what we just read, right? Hath in these last days spoken unto us by who? His Son, Jesus Christ. Boy, watch the connection here. This is good stuff. Jesus said, the last days before I come back are going to look like just before the flood. What does it look like today? Pretty close. I mean, really, pretty close. We got every kind of perversion and wickedness going on in the world, rebellion against authority, rebellion against parents, the whole list that Paul wrote, right? All all this stuff, it's here. It's here and getting worse. And here's the seriousness of it. Listen, Daniel said, Lord, we, we didn't listen before the flood came. 120 years he's building the ark. So, now it doesn't say specifically, but listen, he's building the ark for 120 years. Is that not a witness to his generation? I can just imagine somebody going by, by Noah's house in his backyard is this giant boat. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building this boat, man. God said it's going to flood and, we, and if you want to live, you got to get on that thing. How are you going to get that thing from here to the ocean? No, you're not listening. God's, the, rain, the water's coming to us, okay? We don't have to go to the water. And God said, build this thing. And when I get done with it, you need to get you and your family. You need to get on it or, you know, or God's going to destroy the world. How many people got saved? How many people got on the boat? Noah and his family. 120 years. You're talking about feel like a failure, Preach for 120 years and nobody listened to you. Preach for 120 years and listen, nobody but your own family gets saved. Now that's pretty good. If nobody's going to get saved and you save your family, that's good. But the point is, his whole generation, the whole people before the flood, living, marrying, giving in marriage, drinking, living life, it's all about them, and boom, the flood comes and they all perish. Hey, Israel, living, giving in marriage, doing their thing, Babylonians come, they all get drug off into captivity. Mm, in time, guess what's going to happen? Living, marrying, giving in marriage, drinking, all about us, Super Bowl, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Boom, Jesus shows up. And they're living their life and don't know till it's over, right? Till it's all done. That's scary, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if you're here today or listen online, you've never been saved, you ought to be getting saved right now. Not tomorrow, not later, not, but right now. You say, how do I do that? Well, get to confessing. Pray to God, Lord, I'm a sinner. You said I am. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I don't want to be a sinner anymore. Save me. Crawl out to God. The message is preached. 
How many churches in this country? Now, I'm not talking about the rest of the world. How many churches in this country? Well, drive down the road. There's one on every corner. Trinity's building one right down here. We can walk to one another down here. Hold hands. There's one across the thing over there. There's, there's, I mean, you can't drive home without passing five churches. The word of God's being preached and nobody's listening. God's given the warning and nobody's listening. Don't let that be you. Don't let it come and you be caught by surprise and go, man, I didn't know. Or it'll be too late then. Because you're being told. And God's telling you and the Holy Spirit's drawing you. Don't let the rapture come and find yourself in the tribulation, hell on earth, and think, man, I should have got saved. Don't let that happen. Now, the last thing I want to look at real quick before we close. And we could have did a whole message out of these two verses, but I didn't want to do that. Look at verses 7 and 8. Here's the consequence of sin, and Daniel nails it down right here. He says, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, what? Shame of face. Shame, embarrassment. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Mm, that's powerful. You know what Daniel said? He said, Lord, for 70 years we've been living in shame and defeat because of our sin. Because of our sin. Boy, what a lesson to learn here. Daniel said to God, we, we were shamefully treated and our captivity exacerbated by our captors who abused us and marched us 800 miles across the desert in disgrace and shame, chained together. God, we suffered all that because of our sin. Our city, the beloved city of David and your city and the temple that we worshiped you in raised to the ground. Shame because of our sin and embarrassment. Listen very carefully as we finish. Listen. There is a built-in part of sin that always brings shame. There is built into sin, part of the consequences of sin is shame and embarrassment. The sad part in our society today is we have men and women who are choosing to disobey God and live in open rebellion and sin, and they have no more shame in it. They become arrogant in it. That's even a worse place to be. Sin is deceptive. And here's the part I want you to understand before we close. On the front end of sin, it looks good, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be transparent. Well, when sin on the front end looks like, man, this will be great. This will be fun. It's enticing to the flesh. This will be pleasurable. It'll be entertaining. It'll be encouraging, whatever. Whatever the attraction is, sin just looks so good on the front end. But what always happens if we give in to sin? Now you're on the backside of it. And it don't look so good, does it? When you're on the backside of sin, it looks ugly. When you're on the backside of sin, it's painful. And if you're saved, it's really painful because the Holy Spirit's beating the daylights out of you. 
And even for a lost man or woman, on the backside of sin is painful. It's hard. Real life illustration, and I could make many. Part of being a pastor is people come to you sometimes and they tell you the sin they're going to commit. You think, well, why would they do that? I don't know, but let me just tell you. I guess they want your approval or somehow to make them feel good about what it is they're going to do. I don't know. And it usually has to do with marriage. Like a guy will come to me and he'll say, Pastor, I got to talk to you. I'm, I, you're, I'm just going to divorce my wife. And I, you know, I wouldn't be telling these stories if I hadn't heard it before. And I, you know, I look at him and go, why in the world would you do that? Well, you know, and they give me all the reasons. And usually if it's a guy, my next question is, who's the girl? Who's the other woman? And then they look shocked because most of the time guys don't come to that conclusion that I'm going to divorce my wife unless they have somebody else on the side. And then they go, how did you know? And I go, well, I wasn't born yesterday. I've been doing this a while. So that's how the conversation goes. But here's the deal. If I can't convince them or pray and get them to not do what it is they're going to do, here's what always happens. Now watch. So if you're here watching online, you're contemplating leaving your mate, you want to listen to this, okay? On the front end, it looks really good, doesn't it? Let's just take it from the guy's perspective, because women have done the same thing. I'm divorcing my husband, and they give me all the reasons. He's a sorry guy, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's how this thing goes. Sin looks so good. This woman is everything my wife's not. Mm, not really, but okay. And, and this life with her looks so exciting. You know what I mean? Man, how would it be if I could just be with her all the time? And what he don't remember is he sees her at work when she's at her best. She's all dressed up and got her perfume on and everything looks good, right? I mean, he's not living with her at the house when, well, you know, okay. Same for her, you know? I mean, he's at work, and he looks really good, and he's all dressed up, got his aftershave on. He shaved this morning, and he's dressed nice. Well, you know, she don't see him get up in the morning in his flip-flops, and, you know, his hair's not combed, the whole deal, right? So, so but, but the sin looks wide on the outside. Man, it looks enticing, doesn't it? It looks so good. Man, I'll, and, and what's the thing I always hear? I'll be so happy. You know, if I, if I can do this, I'll be so happy. And then let me tell you what the backside looks like, because then I have to deal with that, too. And I'm not kind about it. I go, I told you. I, you know, that's how I, I told you what was going to happen, okay? Because here's what happens on the back end. Now you got a broken home. Now you got a mate, whether it be a man or a woman, whose heart is broken because you, whether it be the man or woman, you, you left them. You broke, it broke their heart, okay? Now you got children who are thrown into the abyss of, of my mom and my dad aren't together anymore. And for a child, that's their world. That's, that's their world. And, and I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen it, I can't tell you how many times. And sin on the backside is ugly because now, now the, the man or the woman who left, now they're supporting two homes. Now the money's a problem because the judge says, you got to pay you know, $800 a child and you get four kids. Get another job, so what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so now, now you got all these issues and he ended up back in my office going, now what do I do? I'm like, man, I don't know what you do. I don't know. Get on your knees. Get, I, I don't know. The point is, I could, I could connect that to anything. My older brother, my older half-brother died an alcoholic. You know why? Because on the front end, sin looked so good. Man, I'm, I'm going to drink. And my brother did drugs. 
He said, I'm, I'm going to do drugs, and I'm going to have a party. And he played in a band, and it didn't help. My older brother was really good looking. I mean, he had girls lined up. He you know, had long, flowing hair. I don't know what happened, because I got this stuff. But he had, <laughs> he had like long, flowing hair. And I mean, he, you, I mean, everything that looked like success in the world, it was him. And he died sitting in a chair from, from drinking too much. Sin looks good on the front, but always bites like a snake, like a serpent in the end. And that's what Daniel's saying here. God, we, we thought we were in control. We thought we were doing what we ought to do, and we didn't listen to you. So you say, what's the lesson to learn today? Well, there's a lot of lessons. If you're watching online or you're here, the main one is this. Sin will destroy you. And the answer is to do what Daniel did right here. We get on our face before God. God, I'm a sinner, and, and I want to be saved. And God, I want you to change me on the inside so that I'll be different. That's the answer. So maybe today, if you're here, you could take a lesson from Daniel about confessing and getting right with God. Maybe you're a Christian today, and you say, boy, I got this sin that I keep holding on to. Turn loose of it. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you in the end. you got to turn loose of it. And God will take it away from you. Maybe you're lost and you say, man, I just want to run my own life. No, you don't. Let God run it. Let God run it. God has a much better plan for your life than you could ever come up with. So confession. Do what Daniel did today. Confession. Ask God to help you today. Ask God to save you today. Would you do that? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what you teach us in your word. Thank you that we can confess. Thank you, God, that there's mercy, there's pardon for sin. God, we just simply have to come by faith and ask you to forgive us and put our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died to pay for our sin. Lord, I pray that if someone's under the hearing of your word this morning, that right now they won't wait, right now from the seat they're sitting in in this auditorium, from the place they're sitting online, God, that they would crowd you. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin. And God, by faith, I ask you to forgive me and save me right now. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse. <laughs>